Welcome everyone to episode three, From Stigma to Empowerment, Changing the Conversation on Menopause and Mental Health Through Private Practice. I'm Wendy Kendall, your host, and today we're talking about a transformative and empowering topic, menopause and mental health in private practice. Our guest today, Dr. Becky Quick, a clinical psychologist who's tailored her practice to support her menopause journey, and Simona Stokes, a counselling psychologist and founder of the Menopause CBT Clinic, are shining a light on a topic that's often stigmatised or overlooked. These trailblazing women have channeled their personal experiences, faced challenges head-on and transformed them into a source of empowerment for themselves and others. In our conversation, we delve into the intuition that often calls us towards a deeper understanding of our personal needs during this significant transition. Dr. Becky shares her profound insight into how she was becoming too enmeshed with her private practice, leading her to make a pivotal and courageous shift in her work. Simona also underscores the importance of reflecting on how our practices can embody a renewed sense of purpose and vitality that emerges on the other side of menopause. Whether you're experiencing this transition yourself or supporting others through it, the transformative possibilities of the menopause journey can be a beacon for change for your private practice. After the episode, we invite you to connect with our vibrant community in the Inspiring Psychology Practices Facebook group, on LinkedIn or on our website at inspiringpsych.com. That's inspiringpsych.com. It's time to break out of the box and redefine what private practice can be. Hello and welcome to episode three of the Inspiring Psychologists podcast, where we talk to um, practitioners, to psychologists who are breaking the mold of private practice. I'm Wendy Kendall and today I am joined by Dr. Becky Quick and Simona Stokes as we talk about the topic from stigma to empowerment, changing the conversation on menopause and mental health through private practice. And this has been a topic that has been um, all over the news, but it's also something that is fundamental to the experience of a lot of us in our private practices, both from um, the inside in terms of um, how we experience our private practices as we go through a big life transition, such as menopause, and also how um, psychologists through the medium through the of, um, of private practice are also pushing back and shaping um, the conversation around uh, moving more from, uh, from a, a position of stigmatization about these conversations into a more empowered approach. So I'd love to welcome um, Becky Quick and Simona Stokes to the podcast. Hello, both of you. So lovely to be with you this morning. Hi. So uh, first things first, I'd um, love to open up the mic to have a little bit of an introduction from each of you. So um, if if I can start just by who's by, uh, you know, at the side of me on my screen, maybe starting with you, Simona, and then coming to you, Becky, around, you know, who you are, what you're doing in your private practice, um, who you are as a practitioner. Okay, thank you for inviting me uh, as a guest on your podcast, Wendy. So I'm Simona Stokes, I'm a counselling psychologist, uh, I'm CBT 
specialized and I also work with EMDR therapy within my practice. But I have been working as a mental health professional for over 20 years and uh, have experience in working in a number of settings. I worked in voluntary setting many, many years back when I started my career in addiction services. And then I moved to primary care services for many years. I worked in um, then private practice on and off uh, while still working in NHS. And then uh, six years ago, uh, I... um, I jump ship. I resigned. Uh, I'm one of those statistics that says uh, up to 10% of women can leave their job while going through the perimenopause and menopause. Now, looking back at it, I can say that. But at that time, I was saying that there are so many other reasons and talking about stigma was like, oh, I cannot accept that, God forbid, I am doing this because I just find work so overwhelming at the time i was you know a senior manager in nhs having a big remit big budget so yes um the rest is history so i set up camp move lock stock and barrel in private practice set up an uh, independent psychology practice and it went from strength through strength to strength Uh, i had Uh, I have a number of colleagues working with me as associates, but when the penny eventually dropped for me that, hang on a minute, what I'm going through, it's actually linked to menopause. I started developing a really keen interest in menopause and I started trying to research, but more than anything, I was doing more me search in the first instance, just trying to understand how to fix my head that started scrambling. And I just came to realize that maybe my um, clinical training hasn't equipped me enough to deal with the menopause because basically we tend to come to any kind of had difficulties through the lens of what's happening in your mind. It's your perception. So I just learned that that's not sufficient. And then I started Mm. developing a different way of working uh, with uh, myself in a first instance and then applying it with a client group that uh, requires these women going through the menopause that in spite of whatever they are trying, maybe lifestyle changes or and HRT is not sufficient to get them back Mm. on a floating line. So I developed a a model of working that I'll mention probably later on in uh, our discussion. And I found that it's very effective working with this particular client client group as it's been effective for me. So there is the, the kind of link of my personal experience with my clinical experience. And because of this, I set up the menopause CBT clinic in 2020, because I already started doing a lot of work with menopause and I have been advised through coaching that actually working with menopause issues within my general practice, um, you know, it's a little bit hidden. And those women that would require access to something like this cannot necessarily see me. So then I set up a separate service, which is the menopause CBT clinic and the rest is history. Three years down the line, you know, uh, doing really well with this, training uh, other health professionals in the model that I have developed and helping many women, you know, uh, go through the stages of this process to find themselves and find their voice and move through the transition and thrive again. So in a nutshell, that's me. Yeah, yeah. And this whole, I love that word, me search. Mm. And on having said that, one of the things that really strikes me is that a lot of our research and innovation in, in many fields comes from us recognizing that there is a problem that needs to be solved. And, you know, often it's a pressing problem that we've come across. So, um, you know, for me, that is where a lot of research starts anyway. Um, and and so, you know, really interesting and, again, reflective of the way in which our, our private practices are often us solving issues that are very present in our lives as well that resonate with us. 
too. So, Becky, coming to you, uh, and uh, obviously you and I have known one another a few years now, so um, I know a little bit about your background, but I'd love to have an intro from your perspective, please. Um, yeah, I was just reflecting actually on, on Simona talking about um, working in the N NHS and being a, a senior manager. And I've been thinking about my experiences in the NHS. I left the NHS in 2015, literally uh, 1st of April, so it's just been my anniversary um, after having my second child. But thinking back to my time in the NHS... The people, the women who were in midlife, um, primarily all took early retirement. I'm just think I just kept on thinking about all the different people in the trust I work with. Most of them took early retirement and um and then left. Yeah, left the NHS. I mean, obviously, I don't know what was going on. You know, I'm kind of now at this position really curious, but there weren't women postmenopause. Mm. I just can't remember them when I was working in the NHS. I was thinking, well, who was postmenopause? Mm. I really don't remember. So anyway, that's just really interesting, mm. isn't it? And that mm. stigma about, I think, it, yeah, there's just, I'm a, so I'm a clinical psychologist, and I think there's a huge stigma about being, um, you're being a human. <laughs> being a mm. human, that being a clinical psychologist. I'm going to name it right there. There's an issue. There's an issue. <laughs> um, I also thought it was really interesting. You said, right, start off by telling us who, who you are. Oh, yes. Ask a perimenopausal or the postmenopausal woman who you are is actually um, <laughs> quite interesting because that's the that's the role mm. of our menstrual cycle and then perimenopause and menopause to really sort of um, shed it all and actually distill everything into who you are. So uh, yeah, so I'm on that. I'm in that process. Um, mm. Unlike Simona. Is kind of post um, post menopause. I'm um, I'm 45. I mean, I don't. This is the thing. I'm kind of like I don't know where I am in the process, which basically <laughs> tells me that I'm you know in perimenopause and in this kind of lost kind of who knows time. Um, so, but in terms of um, my private practice, I currently run. Uh, I'm currently an expert witness in the family courts. Um, I and I've done that since I left um, the NHS. That's always been a consistent thread. Um, so yeah, I do um, psychological assessments for children and parents within family courts. Um, and I'm purely doing that now. And um, I feel really kind of um, passionate about us. Um, creating a private practice that meets our needs so um, I'm, I'm sure throughout our conversation we you and I fully concur on this right <laughs> we yeah, may, yeah, yeah. may have had different paths but I think we agree on this point <laughs> absolutely um and, and an expert witness work is in my opinion absolutely perfect for women going through perimenopause and menopause i've i've realized it's also perfect for um those of us who are neurodiverse and who have adhd and um autism i mean i can talk a bit more about that but i've kind of realized that the expert witness work so not doing therapy i i at the moment feel like i could not do therapy mm. um I so doing expert witness work, we go in, we hyper focus um, on the on the assessment, but we spend most time at home. You know, you go out and do the assessment, come back and spend many most all the other hours that you're that you're paid for is is at home writing or reading reports, and it gives that space and time that I'm feeling is I really need at this time of my life. Mm. And having worked with women through menopause, um, because I haven't had a phase of um, being the menopause psychologist, um, that's that's the theme, you know, needing time and space. And if we don't have that time and space, then things get really tight and constricted. And that's where the shadow side can really kind of come through and the mm. rage and, and it, you know. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's where I'm at now with um, family law psychology. Yeah, yeah. And... If I remember rightly, when we first had a conversation about working together, um, I think 
with the expert witness work that you were doing and the way you were working at the time, it had led to a position where you felt like a big change needed to happen. And then there was an arc of exploration. So this is how it looked to me anyway, but you've obviously got your inside perspective on that. What's your, Mm. what's your perspective on, on that change? Yeah, I, I um, birthed my private practice, like I said, in 2015. Um, And it was a position of having to leave the NHS because of, um, it wasn't feasible for me to be a mum and continue working in the child psychology service, unfortunately. Um, So I left the NHS and birthed my private practice and did what I did in the NHS in my private practice, just literally transferred it. And I think that that makes sense. A lot of us do that. Um, And in a way, it started to, I guess I, I see that we have a relationship with our private practice. This is, I mean, I didn't know this before I grew it. I didn't really, I did talk about, oh, birth my third child, but, and I knew that it was kind of growing, but actually <clears throat> this relationship and this journey of my private, so I'm just going to talk about me and my experience, my private practice grew and I was growing. And what happened was um, I was doing therapy with children and families mm. as I had been doing in the NHS. And then it got to this point where on reflection, my private practice kind of hit adolescence. So I kind of, it had grown and it grown and developed. And I've become very um, enmeshed. This is part of my pattern. It's, that's my, my stuff. Um, but I became very enmeshed and very at one with my private practice. But it reached adolescence. I started to reach um, perimenopause, early 40s. And Unfortunately, in a way, it did come literally in one moment, walking across the park, having left my daughter for her first day at primary school, where I suddenly thought, well, no, I didn't think it. I I just had this message. I can't do this anymore. Mm. So, which scared the crap out of me because that, you know, and there had been no kind of like build up to this. So anyway then sort of really I felt like I really couldn't do any more therapy I had to stop it so kind of found right yeah which Mm. was which was you and that's where we kind of came came together and I guess my my I then did go on this like you say this arc of exploration and this growth uh, again still very very entangled so my growth has really kind of um, gone alongside and together with my practice in terms of I was really interested in women's empowerment, self-doubt, all the stuff I was struggling with. And at the same time, I was working very, very intimately with my menstrual cycle. And was, that was in my personal life. But actually realizing that there's no one out there talking about menstrual cycles um, and the power of them. Mm. And, and, um, and whereas now, I guess... What happened was that I realized that I was very enmeshed with my private practice and I needed space and I just couldn't do all the things. I was on social media, I was doing, and it was about to boom. I know that that business was about to hit mega time and I knew I didn't have capacity for it. I haven't Mm. got personal capacity for that right now where I am in my life. And so that's and that's absolutely fine. So I've stepped away and now I've got clearer boundaries between me and my practice. And my practice now is very anchored and very grounded and will just be there steady. I love it. It's so holding. It's I'm not completely enmeshed mm. with it. Does that make sense? And so I'm going through my my work and my my practice um my own kind of well, I'm just living. I'm living as I need to and want to, um, mm. you know, supporting my children yeah. and, and in my life. Um, and so that's where I'm at right now. And I feel like it's not, we don't talk about this and how we go through our own processes mm. and how our practices can support that, but also show us what we show us what we need. Yeah. And um, we can create a practice that totally suits our needs and right now for me that's space and it's time and it's quietness and it's not with lots of people and it's not on social media (laughs) now who knows for the future yeah thank you for taking us through that journey as well 
um, and with the insights on there. I mean, you know, episode one, I talked about the path of private practice. And what I really hear from what you described there was some of the realities, you know, the ups, the downs, the sideways moves, the realizations, the reflections, the accelerations, the, you know, putting the brakes on and, and shifting and so on. Simona, would you, you know, when you hear Becky describe that story, what comes up for you uh, when you think about your own kind of shift and the development of two practices essentially you know your general mm. therapy practice mm. and then more specifically around the menopause mm. CBT clinic yeah yeah well I um I really echo with uh, Becky's story because when I left NHS nearly six years ago it's really interesting you said first of April I resigned on first of April <laughs> but I left in it's July. a spring thing yeah there is you know uh, so uh anyway so I I do resonate with this idea that we start we can start only where we are at and I was at the point of where I recognize my clinical skills and what I can do and thinking, okay, I set up my private practice doing therapy. And because I worked in primary care for many, for many years, I was thinking, okay, that's my niche. Although you can't say really that's a niche because that's almost everyone else's niche, you know? <laughs> so just as, as I started, you know, understanding a little bit more about my process, like what maybe pushed me into choosing that bold move of resigning. I didn't even retire. I was too early for retirement, you know? So I, I just started recognizing that uh, the, this process, the menopausal transition plays such a big part in my decision. And by starting that process of self-exploration has driven my interest and my work in a different direction. And there, you know, this kind of menopause work has started because you know, when you see it, you cannot not see it anymore, you know, so I was just <laughs> sometimes struck at this thought that, you know, over 20 years working in a clinical field, I, I would have seen thousands of women that were going through the menopausal transition and not once I asked anyone about, you know, where were they at and if, uh, you know, they experienced any changes related to this and, you know, when, when the penny dropped, I can't stop asking that. It's almost like even for younger women, you know, if they just tell me about some symptoms that might indicate that our hormonal change is there, I'm, I'm, I'm going to explore, I'm going down that rabbit hole, you know, to try to understand. So, you know, coming back to your question, Wendy, it's very much something about the way I grew psychologically, the way I understood myself, the way my curiosity took me down a certain path. My practice, my private practice has evolved. And, you know, I, I am convinced that if I wouldn't have had that level of reflection and self-awareness and curiosity to learn, probably I would still do just general practice, although I still do that. I don't want to say that I exclusively work just with, with women going through the menopause. I still do that, but more and more of my energy and my passion, it's in developing the menopause uh, work, you know, the supporting women with the psychological difficulties associated with the menopause. So, you know, like Becky, I can see how our personal lives and experiences in some respect dictate you know where we're going and when we don't listen to that voice i think we can get to a dead end because i think for me especially as we go through middle stages of life it's so important to find our purpose and the purpose we would have had you know maybe in our 20s 30s early 40s is changing and if we don't pay attention we end up right down miserable and i think that what really I, I've learned about my own journey is that what was making me very miserable maybe in my NHS job over and above everything, all the stresses that, you know, a job like I had, uh, you know, was bringing into my life was this sense that I'm doing the same thing and no moving anywhere. And the, the sense of joy was shriveling inside me. Mm. And, you know, now my, my, kind of um, 
simple litmus test for purpose is, does it make my heart sing? And if it does, that's great. You know, I, I engage with that passion and joy. And then does it help someone else in some shape or form? So when these two conditions are met, I know that I'm on purpose. So I need to have the sense of joy and I need to know that whatever I'm doing helps someone in some shape or form. And they might not even know that I'm trying to help in some respect. But if I have that kind of thing, uh, thought that I think it's going to carry them a step further from where they are, maybe. I feel like I'm doing a job worthwhile. And I really feel now that my, my private work has evolved, has grown, because I use this kind of principle. Like, I need to engage with my passion, with my joy. And only then I can be giving to other people. Because if I give from an empty cup, I can't give too much and I'm running on fumes and I'm just going to be very depleted and resentful even. Whilst now I feel like I've got abundant energy because it's coming from that point of joy and passion that I want to share with others. So, and I, I, sorry, I was, I was just thinking that <clears throat> actually what's, and you just, you came into that then, which I think is really important is about energy. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely massive going through our 40s and 50s and the amount of energy we have and we are not as we were in our 20s and 30s. Um, and we need, and I think that if we don't have conversations like you're, you're having here, Wendy, about breaking the mold, if we don't, like having these, mm -hmm. as we say, if we don't have them, what will happen? Well, what will happen is that we will all burn out but if by having these conversations it's saying i guess that mm. um our the amount of energy we have um is is obviously critical and we can change our practice you know we may have been a therapist for very many years or we may have been doing all the things but actually it's okay that there comes to a point where we mm. recognize we haven't got that mm. energy to do that role and mm -hmm. so we might need to we might need to shift. We might need to pivot. Or but well, actually, I don't see it as shifting pivot. I actually see it as shed shedding. Mm -hmm. we, we may need to get rid of parts of our practice mm -hmm. to there. And I feel like that's what happens through this transition in life that we we get if we do that, like Simona's done. Actually, and this is the the just the beauty of women postmenopausal that are just really clear and because we don't have as much energy we're getting older that's just, that's how it is we're getting older we have a finite amount of energy and it's about actually putting that in a very purposeful like Simone was just saying in a purpose driven driven mm. place mm. um but I think there are a lot of psychologists in their 40s in particular going through perimenopause who are struggling and it's like because we can't do what we always did we need we have to do something different and may maybe for a while we do less of the things hmm. yeah and i'm just reflecting as well first of all i really enjoy this conversation because i feel like i'm getting group therapy because <laughs> as you're kind of sharing things i'm like oh yeah and making little kind of associations so um I was 49 at the weekend, so I'm between oh, the birthday. pair of you. Thank you. I am the sandwich filler. I'm the mm. filler in the podcast, which is fine by me. Um, but it's really interesting listening to you both describe some of those events that were kind of initiating events that led you on a completely different track. And I mean, I you know, I've been in private practice 20 years, um, but I would say it was about 10 years ago. So I was, you know, just entering my 40s then where a bunch of stuff had happened. Um, you know, business relationships I thought were in one state turned out to be in an entirely different state. And I thought, well, that's just not going to work for me. And now I've got to go in an entirely different direction. And actually, it was probably timed with me just saying, like you said, Becky, I'm shedding all that. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm not doing all of this stuff. You know, there's a bunch of baggage that I brought through my teens, 20s, 30s. 
and had probably been too busy raising kids, running a business and all the other things. Um, and, you know, as you said, Becky, while I had the energy, the quantity of energy for that, um, where suddenly it was like, you know what, I just... I'm not into that anymore. I'm going to shed the things. And that mm. was what led to this process that ultimately then led to this business. And mm. I mean, you know, this, you, you talked about, um, Becky, our purpose is changing. I think even Simona, you said as well, our purpose is changing. Mm. And, um, and that's the entire premise of this business. So here we are once again, like you said, Becky, I'm just living, <laughs> <laughs> living my practice uh, you know given mm -hmm. the stage that I'm at mm -hmm. um yeah so the other the one thing I would say though that I reflect on as you were talking about energy is and this relates to like the people that I end up working with in this business as well I think mm -hmm. we talk a lot about energy as though it's a quantity of energy and our quantity of energy is maybe shifting or changing or diminishing as we go through different parts of um, this menopausal journey. But what I would say is um, the quality of our energy is also changing. So becoming much more purposeful. And one of the things I'm really keen to do is to, and this is one of these regenerative principles, it's like look at these stores of knowledge and wisdom that you have, that you have developed through your life. And as you said, you know, getting the space to reflect on all of this capability and knowledge that you've built up. And, and that's actually really, that's really fertile earth for this next stage, for powering this next, next stage in our practices. So Simona, you know, you're talking about this research that you, that you did, that you put together, mm -hmm. creating your model and so on, but that's come from a lifetime of energy stored in the form of wisdom and knowledge and, and relationships with other people, you know, practitioners and, 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 and within our profession and so on. So for me, all right, we can have a conversation that says our energy may not be, we may not have the same high of, or, or quantity of energy, but I, I think we have a very qualitatively different energy as well that, we can harness. Simona, go on. You, uh, you I like, just wanted I to, to say, say I need to say something. There is something about this uh, point about energy that Becky has raised. I think that our energy gets depleted when we are not working on purpose, when we're not listening to ourselves, when mm. we're just trying to meet everyone else's needs, but ours, mm. you know, mm. and what I found in my experience and what I see with women that I work with is that when you get some clarity about what's important for you, when you get some clarity about what your passion is, where you can extract some kind of delight uh, from, from life and from what you do, actually that's, that's creating so much more energy. I feel I can say hand on heart, I feel like I've got more energy and more creativity now in my 50s than I had in my 40s. I just feel mm. like I can't keep all the ideas in my head. I feel like I have to, 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 to download all the, the ideas, the knowledge, the wisdom, if you want to call it in that way. But it's just like, I feel like I've got that energy and it's regenerative because I feel it matters to me. I feel yeah. like I make a difference to other people. I don't feel that it's just pleasing others because it pleases me too. It, it, uh, it gives a, an outlet for my creativity and what I think it's important, you know, in terms of supporting other women, in terms of, this idea of sisterhood in terms of making a difference to someone else's life in whatever measure, sometimes maybe very, very, very small. But I think for me, that gives me a lot, a lot of, of energy. And it's not just the mm. quality, but the quantity. I feel like I'm abundant. I'm not working from a point of depletion. Mm. I'm working from a point of abundance where I feel like I can spend this energy to do things because I've still got so much more in store and I know how to regenerate it. So I'm not right. scared of giving. 
That's amazing. Can I just say, it's, it's really wonderful to hear that because, you know, to hear that actually, mm. you know, that that is possible. And I and and obviously, well, my reflection on, on you and what you said from your journey is that you have gone through the process and you have risen, you know, um, you've kind of worked out, whittled everything down, you're clear about your the essence of who you are, and so therefore it's very focused. But actually, that, you know, and, and obviously you're working to help women do that, but actually a lot of people in private practice, if we don't have conversations like this, can easily go down, you know, and easily get swamped and just keep doing the thing. Um, and, 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 and also I wanted to say to anyone listening who's, who's kind of in the 40s that because you kind of think oh I don't know what it is I don't know what passion is what's my thing you know and and in a way it's it's kind of um that doesn't really matter in a big way it's it's connecting in with yourself whatever that is at that moment in time you know I'm not thinking this is me for you know this is it forever sort of thing it's just right now right now what um right here right now what matters to me and focuses um on me being able to live the life right now that, that I want to live. Um, and hopefully, by going through the process, you know, I'm hoping if I look after my health, my mental health, my physical health, then something like Simone is describing is open. And then, oh my God, you know, women postmenopause, psychologists in private practice, most postmenopause. Ah, wow, we can change the world. <laughs> yes, yeah, so you are saying, Becky, sorry, sorry. No, carry on, Simona, please. Okay, uh, Becky, you're saying something about, uh, you know, the passion and, you know, if there are people who are listening about this, oh, what's my passion? But I think that's one reason why we can get so down and depleted because we lose some sense of joy. We lose that sense of play, you know, and it's just, really important to look at what delights us more than what enlightens us and i think Mm. it's always you know a little bit of a thing about purpose and passion like what how can i make big difference in the world it's not about that it's how can you make some difference first to yourself so you can regenerate some of that energy, some some of that passion, that sense of joy and play. And then you can go out there and use that to share it with others. That's the bottom line. When you find what gives you delight and joy and you're sharing it with others, you are on purpose. That's it. As far as I'm concerned, that's how I'm seeing it. Although the bit before it, I'm kind of speaking to those, to you when you are leaving your job. The bit before it, we may not be in connection with joy. We are, our psyches are dying. We are literally, you know, and that's okay. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. There is a phase where actually you feel like you're in the wasteland and that's okay. Mm -hmm. That's That's part of it. And we may not know, we may not connect with joy. We may be in a deep, dark place. And Mm -hmm. that's the the initiation, that's the end point, that's the death point. And that's okay. It's part of the process. Feel like you're not even connecting with joy. It's okay. Go with Mm -hmm. the process. Um, That's what I just wanted to to say to people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so many things came up for me as you were, um, as you were both speaking there. I think one of the things that really struck me is how dynamic therefore this process is right in a relatively short Mm. amount of time because maybe we're talking 10 or 15 years and when you're in 10 or 15 years it goes quick right (laughs) there's a lot that happens um and I know that one of the things that I end up working with people with is this sense of, oh, but I did a rebrand two years ago. So this should be, you know, I should be all right now for five years. Mm-hmm. But when we're in these very dynamic phases of life, when, and especially as you said, uh, both of you, you know, if you're following that path to purpose, <laughs> um, you know, mm-hmm. going through the dark nights of the soul, going through, I call mm-hmm. it also going through the forest of Fangorn <laughs> with my Lord in the Rings metaphors, Um 
you know, going and, and then finding, you know, joyful moments and following those joyful moments and so on. But that that can look and feel very different. And it may be directing our attention to different aspects of humanity, let's say. So our, it makes sense to me. And I'm just reflecting myself on how in a, you know, in a similar way to what you've both described, in the last 10 years, I've had about four or five different brands. You know, it, mm -hmm. I, I mean, it's almost a, a joke now, the number of URLs I own for things. <laughs> <laughs> you know, have you bought the URL for that? Because another kind of thing comes in. But um, to me that, you know, we, we do, and I do work with people where they've been struggling with the fact that they only did the rebrand 18 months ago and it's not feeling like it's working for them anymore. Or, you know, they're just at the point of releasing the website and mm -hmm. oh, it doesn't look right anymore. <laughs> and, yeah. oh, I and, totally you know, resonate with that. The, the brand, I mean, I think the branding process is so interesting and it's so right. helpful on your personal growth. You know how much I've put into the personal branding yes. stuff and, and the change, you know, and I think, oh God, about everyone thinks that I'm crazy because I'm going on to a new part of the brand now. But but you're right, actually, it's okay, isn't it? In, 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 but this is just, can I just say all of what we're talking about is not in our training. It's not no. in our, it's just, it's just, it's, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, you know. It, it's it, not it, in regular business coaching. Mm, it, right. it, it's not part of like if I read a business book you know I've got various things at the side of me but no one says you're you know if you're if you're a woman in your in a, in a certain age likely you'll go through about 10 brands <laughs> <laughs> no one says that bit oh no. there's a book there for you one day. there's, there's <laughs> yes another book there for me yes another one <laughs> but that's yeah. so so yeah, it's great that you, you have mm. these conversations and saying mm. that's okay. It's actually really good. You know, yeah. it doesn't mean you're flitting around. It means it's it's a it's a process, it's mm. a journey, it's growth. Mm. Um well it better bloody have me. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll see in five years' time. We'll, <laughs> we'll come back and do another one, <laughs> do a follow-up. But um yeah, that what you mentioned there, that that thing of, oh, you're flitting around. I think that's one of the stigmatizing stereotypes that mm. we come across. It's like, yeah. uh, you know, we've been talking here for, well, 40 minutes or so about how much of a transformational journey it can be um, and how it has, you know, a promise of, of the future for ourselves and for society out there. Mm. And... Um, and the words that get used from the outside are, you know, oh, you're flitting about. You can't settle anything. You keep changing your mind. Well, you know, when mm. when are you going to be all stable? Well, <laughs> that's why. Let's go evolution. Yeah, well, quite. quite. Yes. <laughs> if we stay staying put and we, we're sticking with one thing, we will never evolve, we will never develop, and actually we're dying, you know? Yeah. So I think Quite. we need to evolve. And nonetheless, yes, life has got a span and we we will come to an end of this life and we have to contend with, uh, with that in our own personal way. But mm. while we are alive, we need to evolve, we need to transcend, and that means changing. And, you know, change is part of everyday life. And you know, when I hear people saying, I don't like change, I can't do change. Well, while they are talking, actually their body is changing, <laughs> minute by minute, and it's, it, it's inevitable. So I think we need to embrace it and to evolve with that change and to adapt to what's happening around us. Because if we yeah. don't, we are dead while we are alive. And that's not necessarily <laughs> very good kind of yeah. way of living as far as I'm concerned. Quite. So true. And can I just say about yeah. men, uh, private practice and the menstrual cycle and how the thought of working in a service where I used to work, now that I've actually realized, I mean, obviously I had a blooming cycle then, but now that I'm kind of like, oh, this is why I'm different. This is why I change every couple of weeks. Um, that, that, that just didn't 
support that. So you just had to keep doing the same things every day. Whereas being in private practice, we have the autonomy and the empowerment. You know, we can empower yourself. Mm. And um, so I run my I, my whole life, my whole business, my whole relationship, my parenting is run by my menstrual cycle. I kid you not. My girls know. Oh, exactly I believe you because I've on. seen it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So everyone now, the whole of it, and, you know, my daughter's about to start hers and we will, you know, and in terms of my business, I don't go out and assess. I have, I, I don't do anything when I'm menstruating. I'm still menstruating. So when I'm bleeding and now I'm kind of like, well, of course, how could I possibly do anything differently? Mm. But I've also heard about people who are therapists because I know that I can plan my work easier. But if you are a therapist, I know about some um, some therapists who, and I love this, who will say to their clients, so today I'm able to give you, and it will be different. So sometimes it's I'm able to really, really tune into a deeper, you know, deeper level of what's going on. Or sometimes it's like, I can give you practical, we can go practical, but mm. actually I really, will really struggle or you know, we're human beings and you can't kind of, um, I, I think that's really important, but a major stigma, a real shift in, in kind of thinking around us as therapists and as psychologists yeah. and yeah. how we are and how human we are. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Go on. I think there is something about the society per se, not only therapy services or psychologists in NHS. And I think there is something about the patriarchal society. And, you know, we're talking about disadvantaged women through the generations and how we still hit that uh, glass ceiling. And, you know, we are fighting against it. But at the end of the day, I think we have to accept that the rules of engagement within work environment have been set by men for men and that would not take into consideration necessarily you know these changes that you are talking about where our hormones are through the month i listened to a very interesting podcast recently uh, on dr chatterjee's i don't know if you either oh. of you follow he had a guest a lady mindy pelts and they were talking mm. about fasting for women and how this particular uh, woman uh, windy um Pelts, uh, Mindy Pelts, sorry, has developed a way of fasting for women that takes into consideration the hormonal changes. And, you know, it's just incredible when you step back and you think, you know, we are expected to work, you know, according to very old rules, eight to six or eight to five or whatever rules, and every day is the same and there is no change, but we, our bodies are going through many changes. And I think that especially over the last five years, it's much more of a discourse around the menopause and it's much more accepted. But before that, you know, menopause was like a taboo subject and so much stigma. Women wouldn't dare to talk about uh, menopause in work environment. And, you know, actually think about your clinical training. Mm. Did anyone tell you how to work with hormones and mental health? No, they, you know, I haven't yet met a psychologist that told me, yes, you know, I had something in my training about this subject. And that's again, because it's almost like women's issues and we have to manage them in silence and we, we have to cope, we have to adapt to the man's world, to the men's world. And, you know, I think maybe the discourse is changing and that's the, the narrative piece, the, the social narrative that's very, very important because that would give us scope to address these issues in, in a much more adaptive way and women-friendly way. And I'm delighted that we are at this stage in, in I'm at this stage in my career and this stage in my life where we can have these discussions in a very open way. Yeah, yeah I, I've, I saw that the, um, the England lionesses for mm. the first time, 2023 for the first time, are wearing dark blue shorts, you know, for the kits. They used to have white tops and white shorts like the men. And I, and it, and I saw that this morning, I thought, yes, because <laughs> equality is about embrace accepting and understanding the needs and meeting that need 
It's yeah. not about being the same. It's about having the need. And I imagine they'll feel much more comfortable um, because they may be on their period when they're having a match, uh, you know, playing a match. And it's the same with us. It's like, actually, it's about knowing what our needs are and that they, you know, and meeting those needs. I mean, it seems so simple, mm. but actually yeah, it's revolutionary. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we know that there's a dearth of research on, um, you know, a lot of the intersections of um, being female and whether it's work, whether it's sport, whether it's drugs, whether it's, you know, um, what's her name? Caroline Criado. Oh, gosh, I'm mincing up the words now. Uh, but she wrote a book about invisible women, about the mm. lack of women in research and um and I know, you know, working with um, alongside my daughter, who's really, who's a, who's an athlete herself, but also um, really interested. And I think also perhaps because of some of the conversations we had, Becky, um, where um, she also then got really interested in the implications of her cycle for, um, for for training and so on. But the thing that really strikes me with all of this, Simona, you mentioned. Um, the patriarchy and the way in which rules have been defined. But what it also comes back to for me is what I talk about in terms of extractive models of business, models that treat people as components in a machine, not human beings who are living systems. Um, and interestingly, I was recently at um, an event, um, a uh, climate coaching event. So thinking about how coaching psychology can be used to support people um, as we face, you know, what's happening in terms of um, climate and environmental degradation. And um, thinking about the changes required in how we run businesses and how we live. And one of the comments that came up was there's an el there's an aspect of us needing to embrace the reality of 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 dying, not just in in a kind of mortality sense, but this shedding element, this getting rid of this, you know, what does it look to allow an extractive and destructive system? to die so that something else can replace it. And we don't do that stuff really well in our culture around death and dying. <laughs> mm. And But what you've described to me in this conversation is that, you know, to me, it really feels like a, a, the, the bigger... Um, in the, the bigger importance of this um, experience, which is... And in a sense, us being the change that we want to see in the world. So letting go of these, I know that, you know, I, I did it and I've been helping other people to stop doing it, which is bringing extractive models that we learned as psychologists into our private practices. And, you know, I've, I gave myself burnout in my private practice, like I had burnout when I worked in the UK public sector, because I came in with the same kind of way of being mm -hmm. and then had to relearn a different way of being. Um, so, yeah. Okay. I know we, we could probably keep going for another hour and a half here. Yes. <laughs> Sit around. Um, I guess question for each of you is, what are your hopes for the future in terms of mm. the evolution of this topic? Mm. Um, mm. And maybe, you know, what would be your kind of words of inspiration for people approaching or going through this process? Um, Becky. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to be really specific. I mean, gosh, talking yeah. about the hopes of the future is, but I'm going to be really specific. And I really hope because we, struggle the family courts do not have enough good experts um it's a massive issue a huge issue and i i really hope that um that uh, that, that on one level you know that more people kind of come into this work and it, you know can supplement people's other areas you know of work if they wanted to or actually focus on being an expert witness whilst going through I just think it fits so beautifully while yeah. while we're going through the transition maybe hormonal transition or any other 
tricky part of life for lots of reasons. Actually, to be an expert witness and to be um, a clinical psychologist or counsellor psychologist in the in the in the courts um, is a wonderful thing to do. And and there's a lot of anxiety around court work, but actually, um, it can really meet your needs and meet the needs of um, you know obviously for me family work um family courts the the kind of needs of kids that desperately need it so yeah i'm i'm growing my um towards the end of this year i'm planning on taking on a small very small number of associates um and with that in mind really you know with people who are thinking actually i just want to know i've got set income coming in i have space and I just think that works beautifully with with menopause. Um, so yeah, I'm bringing on some some ex, um, some associates. So that's that's very specific around family yes. support expert witness work. <laughs> but yeah, that's have my, a my think home. about that in your practice. Um, mm. And also, um, I think because we'll definitely get your um, so, um, and I know it's not so much social media. You're on LinkedIn, but um, but also your website details will be in the show notes. Yeah. So yeah, it's just <laughs> about to be launched. But so by the time people get awesome. Perfect. So um, Simona, for you, what are your kind of hopes and aspirations for the future, um, generally well, and specifically? Okay, generally for me, the hope for the future is that mental health during the menopausal transition, it's much more open subject of conversation out there. At the moment, I, I, I feel that Yes, menopause is much more into people's consciousness, much more it's happening in the media. Many more people talk about physical symptoms of the menopause and, you know, what that might um, create for women, the difficulties. But I still feel that mental health uh, aspect uh, related to the menopause is not that much spoken about. And it really pains me to see that because probably if you worked in NHS or, you know, mental health, it's always the Cinderella of health, you know, always gets less resources allocated, budgets and everything else. The services are always more squeezed. And, you know, it pains me to see that the same dynamic it's present now when we talk about the menopause. So, yes, physical health in menopause, it's very important. I don't want to detract from that. But mental health is so important too. Uh, and I would like, you know, to, to see more people um, getting engaged with this work. And I would like to see more psychologists and more mental health professionals learning the impact of hormones on, on the brain. And then ultimately, because our brain is affected, the way we think, the way we feel, the way we behave, it's changing. Rather than thinking that's all in a woman's mind, it's not in our mind, it's in our brain how the hormones are affecting us. And I would like, mm. you know, all health professionals to know this. And also I would like more mental health professionals to know how to work with this in a therapeutic clinical way. I don't mm. deny that menopause, you know, it's uh, bringing a host of challenges for women in respect to sense of identity, loss of fertility, who am I now, sense of purpose, all of that can be dealt very well with psychological approaches. But I think we really need to acknowledge this side of how the hormones are affecting our brain and mm. therefore how our, uh, how our thinking and feeling and behaving is changing. And there mm. again are a whole host of strategies that can be um, shared with the general public uh, to support women to navigate the choppy waters of the menopause. So my hope yeah. it's really that more people talk about mental health in menopause. And I've seen this regrettably so much where women can go on HRT and they notice a change in how they feel physically because of the menopausal physical symptoms being kept in check. 
by the but by, by the hormones but then the psychological component is not necessarily always addressed and i have seen this where you know some women are given higher and higher and higher doses of hrt in a hope that the psychological symptoms would vanish but the psychological symptoms are not always just related to the hormonal levels the hormones are important, are addressing something, they're rebalancing our body, but menopause, it's also about the psychological component of the um, of this transition. And we need more mental health pro professionals to know how to support women through that change. So that's my hope for the future. And if we have this conversation in another, I don't know, three years, you know, and we know that, that it's a campaign about make mental health in menopause matter it's out there i would know that we made progress because for the last mm -hmm. few years uh dan dunsenbring she's done magnificent work in terms of uh you know raising awareness about menopause and she's been talking about or she she campaigned this kind of movement make menopause matter which is fantastic but now i would like to see a campaign on make mental health in menopause matter so let's hope that maybe that would gather some momentum and in a few years everyone knows about the psychological dimension of the menopause and every health professional would know how to assist women with that side of uh, menopause and not just prescribing hrt or not just prescribing antidepressants because that's not the answer yeah yeah and you know as i've listened to both of you i think the thing that really strikes me in terms of hopes for the future is that we don't just approach this transition in women's lives as something to manage so that we can carry on extracting energy out of them that we actually realize that it's a huge opportunity in terms of female entrepreneurship it's a huge opportunity in terms of different models of leadership and different kinds of visions for organizations, you know, and come in with my occupational psychology hat on a little bit here, but instead of losing these women in senior positions, because the system just will not budge, actually, you know, women in this phase are change makers. Mm -hmm. uh, are people breaking molds? Are people with, you know, who are doing that for themselves? And also, as you mentioned there, you know, a lot, Simona, driving that change potentially in, in bigger parts of the system. And so for me, success would look like um, embracing that transformative potential at the bigger level mm -hmm. of the system and, and, you know, mm -hmm. not just trying to squash it out of women through whether it's through mm. HRT or whatever, you know, whatever the approach mm. is. Yeah. Thank you so much for this conversation, both of you. It's been absolutely fascinating and terrific. Mm. So where can, where can we find you, Simona? Uh, what's your website address? Well, my website address is menopausecbtclinic.co.uk. Uh, I'm on Instagram still as menopausecbtclinic. I'm on Facebook. I think it's thriving beyond 40, I think. Okay. <laughs> I've done that long we'll time ago. in the show now. notes. Yes. And then uh, on LinkedIn, obviously, I'm there and um, <clears throat> you, you'd find my profile and I post quite regularly and I yes I, I post about the ideas about different topics related to menopause and mental health and also I post about training that I'm providing free free webinars for professionals free webinars yeah, for women but also you know uh, webinars paid webinars and training professional training program yeah. for health professionals that are keen to learn strategies to support women during this transition perfect thank you and we'll make sure everything is in the show notes as well and becky i know you said your new website is just ready to be born yeah so the um family law psychology i will mention um i was prolific in uh, so on social media for um, a few years as menopause psychologist so and i'm i'm you know i'm not active on there but there is actually a lot on in on Instagram 
if you look at menopause psychologists um there's loads there and um, that's yeah, just lots of resources yeah um but yes yeah, so family law psychology the website's about to live but yeah I'm, yeah I'm not majorly contactable <laughs> but, um, but yeah in terms of the psychologists um at some yeah. point in the future if thinking about doing associate work then um, it'll be family law psychology and I am on it too, but I don't do anything perfect there. at the moment awesome thanks so much both of you and um yeah looking forward to seeing the comments um on our live stream as well um Thank you, everyone, and uh, I will see you again next week for more inspiring psychologists who are breaking the mould of private practice. Bye. Thank you. Bye. I'd love to hear what you think about the Inspiring Psychologists podcast. So please take a moment to leave a review and give us a rating wherever you listen to podcasts. It makes a massive difference in helping us to reach new audiences. If, like me, you're feeling inspired and moved by the private practice stories in our podcasts, please spread the word across your own networks. And why not encourage your colleagues and friends to listen to the podcast too? To make sure you don't miss out on future episodes, please be sure to subscribe to the Inspiring Psychologist podcast. You can find out more about all my guests from Series 1 at our website, inspiringpsych.com. That's inspiring, P-S-Y-C-H dot com.